This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, as I said, uh, here we find ourselves midweek Wednesday, but it's already uh, the second day in January. We're back to work, and uh, some people aren't, though. I noticed parking lot's kind of semi-empty, and uh, it depends if you're a, a half-parking lot empty or half-parking lot full kind of guy. But uh, People who lost track of, of time over the holidays, and they... <laughs> They're waking up around noon going, oh, oh, God, today's the second. got to get back. Or they're probably just going to dry out and come to their senses late Thursday. So what's the point of going into work Friday? Just turn it into the rest of the week kind of idea. But, of course, there have been uh, some ominous notes early in 2019, not least of which is the violence that was going on unabated in 2018 seems to continue on. Let's find out how the landscape looks to Mike McCormick, president of the Toronto Police Association. Mike, how are you doing this afternoon and Happy New Year? Happy New Year, John. I'm doing great. Are you? Well, listen, uh, when I said the violence, it's been a violent start to 2019, hasn't there? Yeah, I mean, what the, you know, just because the uh, calendar flipped the year, <laughs> we still haven't seen any solutions or long-term actions. In my uh, humble opinion, that's going to stem the violence that we've been experiencing for the last four years. Well, they say also, uh, and confirm or deny, but uh, around New Year's, that's one of the high watermarks when it comes to violent or mischievous behavior, isn't it? Well, I, I, I don't know. All we have to do, John, is look at this year, uh, past year, high watermark. I mean, every weekend's been a, a new, uh, what I call a low uh, threshold. I mean, you know, so to say, oh, well, New Year's is the high watermark, I think that, you know, that's the whole problem around this narrative is that there's these little quips and excuses. Well, you know, this is a blip or this is a trend or whatever, or, you know, it's out of the ordinary or this is New Year's Eve. No, this is like, I, I, unfortunately, I think this is the new reality. Well, it's interesting because a moment or two ago you said, I mean, uh, this is the stuff that's ongoing now without any uh, concept of how this is going to change. And we just heard over the holiday that uh, Justice Tulloch of the Superior Court in Ontario came out with about a 360-page report on uh, police means and ways and best practices, and uh, street checks are not one of them. says there's no evidence that it deters crime at all. So, uh, And we've been around the horn on that issue for umpteen years now. But listen, you tell me, as the head of the association, because I'm sure you confer with the rank and file on this one, if street checks are to be banned outright, uh, because we've discontinued the practice, but he he suggests from the report that they be banned outright, they have no useful purpose, how best then will the police interact with persons in in the interest of curtailing crime? (laughs) Well, it's a couple of great questions, John. But the first part about it is, you know, when I, it's a 385-page document. We're going through the document in ad nauseum, I hate to say, but, you know, it's a huge document. Um, and what Justice Tulloch is saying is that carding, uh, he separates it into the, the distinctions. He says carding, which is the random, arbitrary use of a street check, is not appropriate and should not be allowed. But he's saying street checks are a valuable tool, and they are within the legal uh, uh, limits and the law of what officers can do. They just need to be informed under what circumstances and how to do a proper street check. But that being said, John, you and I have had many, many discussions over the last year. And, and, you know, it's a tool that maybe can be used. But first of all, the officers are going to have to be trained. Second of all, they're going to have to have proactive policing time to engage with the community. And then to me, from a triage point of view, like we're hemorrhaging here, we're bleeding to death. We don't have the resources that we need to stem the violence, and this has the, been the response. Well, we'll look at street checks. To me, it's like I'm, I'm scratching my head, saying, 
we don't have officers that even if we wanted to engage in a street check, uh, you know, uh, policy or procedure, we don't have officers to do it. We don't. We just don't have the resources. So this is not going to help us, uh, I believe, with the immediacy of what's going on in the violence right now. Again, with Mike McCormick, president of the Toronto Police Association. Just to back it up a little bit uh, on this matter of the arbitrary uh, stopping of individuals, this is where carding fell into disfavor, and it was shown that this disproportionately impacts the marginalized or racialized communities. Right. So... Uh, but it still leaves open, as the justice himself said in his report, the ability to engage individuals. So by what criteria? Should you suspect them of being involved in criminal behavior? Or like, where is the uh, the, the yardstick here for where you can approach somebody? <laughs> well, that's, there you go. And there, there's the rub is, you know, so what is that interpreta- interpretation of, uh, and I think he defines it as sort of reasonable suspicion. So how is that defined, uh, you know, as opposed to reasonable or probable grounds or these types of this type of language. So I think that for us, the officers, again, this seems to be a very uh, uh, cumbersome document that, uh, you know, our officers are not going to go out there and say, oh, yeah, we're going to engage in street checks. Thank God street checks are back or not back. I should say street checks. We, uh, we have got that clarification. Again, I, I just don't think it gives us the tools that we need. And to your point, that to say it is the uh, subjective test of reasonable suspicion who the hell knows what that means sean and that's the 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 problem is that if you can't define it you can't interpret it will our officers subject themselves to that type of uh potential for you know criticism potential for you know being the next person called out in the paper or the media i don't think so so that's culminated with the lack of resources like again i think that we've had this discussion for the last two years um, we're not, we don't engage in doing street checks of any kind because we don't have the resources. So it seems like we're talking about, you know, a pie-in-the-sky theory anyhow to, to my members. Well, all right. So it's only academic because uh, the yeah. practicality on the ground is there's nobody there to execute. But, you know, exactly. this is where uh, we need concrete criteria for actually being able to approach somebody in the interest of fighting crime. You know, back in the day, I don't have to remind you, uh, would a cop's hunch count for anything? Yeah, I mean, back, and that's what, what suspicion is. But suspicion is, is beyond just a hunch. You can't just have a hunch. And, and anything, one thing that we do agree with with Tullock, or, or we agree with some of the things in the report, one of the things we do agree with that, you know, it shouldn't be any sort of street check or police interaction, should not be random or arbitrary. So, you know, you can't just say it's a hunch. It's got to be, you know, a, beyond a hunch. But how do you define a hunch? And that's, you define a hunch by, you know, experience of the police officer, where where it's occurring or where the interaction is occurring. What are all the circumstances around that that leads officer to ask somebody their name? But again, that's a very subjective test, John, and, and each person's going to define it and be held accountable by that. And because it's so subjective, to your point, it really leaves the officer vulnerable. So, you know, I, Michael Tullock, uh, you know, I'm not doubting that man's integrity by any stretch of ma- uh, imagination. He's do- done this for all the right reasons. But I don't think that this clarifies anything for our members. Well, one of the right reasons, I guess the overriding right reason, is the uh, elimination of bias within the police service or within certain officers. Do you still believe that exists to a certain extent? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we're we're like any other group of people. Like, there's going to be inherent biases and 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 you know some uh, unconscious bias within policing. We're we're not exempt from that, and we're doing more and more to deal with that with through training, through diversity hiring. But John, like, we keep having this conversation 
about, you know, what do we got to do to stem the violence in the city of Toronto? And, I, I, like, I keep looking, and, and when we talk about, you know, street checks or whatever that looks like, when I look at the overall stats, and the numbers speak for themselves, when I look at our arrests, for instance, are down 48%. So they're down from 54,000 to just over 28,000. These are street arrests. Our, our, our impaired driving incidents are down 31%. Our provincial offense tickets down 59%. So that means 257,000 fewer provincial offense tickets. So what we're seeing is a lack of engagement and proactive engagement by police officers, and it's having a negative impact because we just have to compare that to New York City. New York City has seen a 40% increase in moving violations, in distracted driving. And what they've seen is a decrease, the lowest numbers in 100 years of pedestrians who killed by motor vehicles. They have hired thousands of additional officers, and they've seen a lowest, the lowest murder rate since World War II. This is not rocket science. There are things that we know work and how to deploy them. We just have to have the people who have the leadership and the attitude and the aptitude to move these things forward. Uh, to to make a difference and to stem this violence, and that's what we need to see right now. Well, let me ask you, Mike, as the head of the association, would you do uh, that kind of arithmetic to say, look, uh, if we're down a quarter of a million uh, traffic violations, that's a source of revenue that's gone missing from the city coffers. Uh, That would pay for a cadre of police officers in and of itself. So uh, to phrase this or position it as a potential revenue stream, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. No, no, no. You know what? But John, that's the reality. There's a mm-hmm. revenue stream attached to it. But what it happens in being a frontline police officer and somebody who's out there, every time you pull somebody over, what you often find—not every time, I should say—often what you'll find is that leads to a further investigation. There's further information. There's all kinds of stuff. So I can't tell you the number of arrests that were generated from a routine traffic stop or a violation where you found out there was criminal activity or guns or drugs or other things that it led to. So when I look at this and I say, we're having 257,000 less interactions, I'm really concerned because all I'm seeing is police cars going from call to call with no proactive time and everybody's scratching their head saying, why are all these gangbangers carrying guns shooting the city up in every location possible? It's really easy for us in policing to see it and we're just wondering when the leadership going to take on the real issues and give us a real immediate action and solution to deal with it. All right. Well, we know there are new rules that have come into play as well uh, in the new year, and that has to do with uh, roadside sobriety testing as well as uh, handheld devices, which will get you a $1,000 fine, uh, more than double the previous fine, a three-day license suspension, three demerit points. You guys going to be policing that uh, vigorously? (laughs) Again, It'd be nice, to, and this is great to, to, again, bring in all this stuff. But, you know, we go back to 157,000 less interactions. So are we going to be policing it vigorously? No, we're not, because we just do not have the bodies to do it. So the reality is I think that these things are great things to bring in. Like, people are not getting the message around uh, distracted driving. We see the uh, um, uh, data from other services, over 1,000 impaired drivers done in other jurisdictions. Toronto's the only one that's seen a dip in that because we don't enforce it as much. But you know what? I think these things are necessary. But, again, the officers to do this enforcement. That's that's the bottom line. So these laws are only as good as your ability to in, uh, execute or your ability to to enforce uh, the laws that are on the books. All right, Mike, i got to let you go on that note, but I I appreciate the message. It's well imparted. I'm sure we'll talk again real soon. It's always uh, front of mind in Toronto, uh, policing and uh, how the criminal element works. So uh, a happy new year again, and we'll talk real real soon. 
Okay, hopefully it won't be about this, John. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> All right. Okay, All right. I'll look for Take it. Care. There you are. All Mike right. McCormick, president of the Toronto Police Association. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 